Hello and welcome to the next episode of Eldritch Girl and today I've got Dr Maria de Blasi with me for the author interview. Hello, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, uh, thank you so much for having me here. Um, yes, so I am a uh, professor by day. I teach at my uh, local community college in Albuquerque, New Mexico and then uh, part-time at the University of New Mexico's Honors College um, and when I'm not teaching so at the community college, I teach uh, everything from college writing to creative writing and digital storytelling. And at the university, I teach fun courses like uh, courses on witchcraft and pop culture and uh, romance novels and all sorts of fun things in between all that. Um, when I'm not teaching, I am a writer. I uh, write about the magic of everyday life and you know all the things we can do to create and conjure that magic. Um, and then I'm a fiction writer as well. So I write Gothic uh, and Gothic romances. Uh, so I'm also, I should also say actually that I am a, uh, a bruja, a practicing bruja in New Mexico, um, which means that I'm always looking at ways to use writing as like a form of spell casting, as a form of working through things, uh, telling different stories about uh, people of color, uh, particularly uh, the mestizas like myself, uh, women of uh, Latinx, Indigenous, and European ancestry. So uh, looking at storytelling and writing as a form of thinking about the stories we want to tell about ourselves and thinking about our own lives as stories um, that we can shape and craft for healing and hope and joy. That's Maybe. a little bit about me. <laughs> Oh, I love that. I thought, like, I think that's a really interesting way of looking at storytelling um, as like uh, storytelling is magic and words as having a power. And I kind of think, like, regardless of your perspective, um, yours and the listener's perspective, I think that's such a universal truth, if you like, that fiction and storytelling is such a powerful thing for humans. And um, yeah, I think it's Terry Pratchett who said, um, instead of you know Homo sapiens, that a better term for it would be like the storytelling man. Yes, yeah. I'm a huge proponent of book magic and story magic. I think you know reading and writing is one of the ways we uh, discover ourselves and heal ourselves and um, explore the possibilities of who we can be as as human beings. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm really excited to hear the extract because I really love the short story. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yes, so the short story is Hungry Business. And you're going to read an extract from that now. Um, and then we're going to have a chat. <laughs> so I'll provide a little context to Hungry Business. Um, it's basically a, a short story I came up with uh, about how dating is the zombie apocalypse of the soul. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, I always think my love of Gothic is about, you know, you have to face the darkness in order to see the light um, in your life. So this is kind of about that when you are reaching a point about in your life where you're like, someone's got to change because I can't keep living how I'm living. So um, the excerpt I'm reading is about the protagonist going on some bad dates and then thinking about where her life could go from there. 
And as I was reviewing my excerpt, I realized there's a part that might be confusing. Um, when she gets home from her dates, she always goes to the window seal to wait for a cat to appear across the street from another apartment window. So she's waiting for that cat to kind of come to that other window. Um, so just a little context for this section I'm about to read. Um, so, okay. So hungry business. He said he'd love to have you for dinner, but you are careful. A woman has to be careful. Never give them your address. Don't drink too much. Be aware of your surroundings at all times. Carry grave dirt to throw at them if they get too forward. Be ready to run to the nearest safe space if needed. The good news is that the hungries, while persistent, are dumb as fuck, brain rot, you know, and slower than the sickness overtaking their bodies. Unless, of course, they are well fed, which is rarely the case. This one looks a little better, you think optimistically. You sit across from each other at the dinner table. The white tablecloth is as smooth and unblemished as his collared shirt. He has dressed for the occasion, taking care to hide the evidence of his affliction as best he can. Though truly, there's only so much he can do with a missing ear and half a brain. Still, the tuxedo and carefully applied makeup are enough to create the illusion of pumping blood beneath his pallid, blush-stained cheeks. In the right light. Which is another reason why you chose this place. Candlelight can hide a multitude of sins. His manners are studied and smooth, as if he has spent a lot of time practicing more human-like movements and behavior. You admire a man who makes that kind of effort. He watches you as much as you do him, as if he is trying to remember what it was like to be alive. When you reach for your wine glass, so does he. Only his thick decaying fingers almost crush the stem, whereas your nimble live ones carefully bring the dark liquid to your mouth. You try not to notice how he stares at your lips, stained now from the wine, wondering, perhaps, how you taste. As it turns out, he does get a taste of you. You've been surreptitiously picking at a hangnail on your pinky finger. That's how scintillating the conversation is. When you look down and realize that it is your whole fingernail that has come off, you stare at it in horror, letting the truth of your situation sink in. At least he has the decency to wait until you've left the table before grabbing your napkin and stuffing your bloodied nail into his mouth. A little color comes back into his face. He groans in ecstasy. Nice to know you could still have that effect on a man. Still, it makes you feel cheap used, like all he wanted you for was your body. At home, you take a bath as hot as you can stand and read an old bodice ripper until the warmth returns to your veins and the flame of hope have been fanned enough that you can crawl into your flannel jammies and be grateful you are still alive. The light in your apartment slowly sleeps into your chest and you settle into your perch on the window. You inspect the damage, pinky to, the damage to your pinky finger as you wait for the cat to appear. The bath stopped the spread of the decay, but the tip is gray and blue. There is pus where your fingernail should have been. You smother it in aloe vera, grated ginger, and bandages, hoping it will be enough to bring life back into your appendage. You don't really know how to treat something like this. You sigh and lean back against your window frame. Your orange tabby cat has made its appearance, 
Yours, yes, though you know you shouldn't feel so possessive about a creature you only know from a distance. It's just nice to know it's there. Here's the thing you love about the cat across the way. It's proof that there are other beating hearts out there. Cats won't settle where hungries live. Perhaps their feline instincts tell them they're easy prey for the things that are never satiated. That's why you never see alley cats in the humanless neighborhoods. In fact, it was their strange mass exodus from certain parts of the city that first alerted officials to the virus now plaguing them. And this cat, bright orange like a flame with a soft full belly, seems happy enough in its home. You wonder what kind of human it belongs to. I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> what inspired you to uh, to gothicize the dating theme in the way that you did? Um, <laughs> well, I am a hardcore introvert. I should probably admit this uh, up front. And I am not someone who's ever uh, particularly enjoyed dating or thought it was fun in the way that... Um, you know, media and romantic comedies and, uh, you know, romance novels can sometimes portray it. Uh, so I started thinking more seriously about what, what it was about dating, casual dating that I didn't like. And uh, for me, I think the dark side of dating is that it can really commodify people and uh, dehumanize them in a lot of ways. So the, the positive side of dating is that we're doing it because we want to meet uh, a like-minded person, someone we connect with in a meaningful way um, and, and have some sort of intimate relationship, whatever form that takes. Um, but so much of dating becomes uh, incredibly dehumanizing and um, a little bit soulless as you're kind of going through the motions and thinking, you know, maybe next time I'll meet someone. Um, I also think there's a tremendous amount of social pressure to kind of perform your search for the one. Yeah. And that's part of what feels soulless. It's like, it stops feeling organic. So the protagonist in this story, she's going through the motions of, you know, this is what you do in order to find someone. And it's not really anything that makes her happy or makes her feel good about herself. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, the sights of horror that you have in the story. And I think it's worth saying, uh, I think what's worth saying is that, that there should be a content warning if anyone decides to read it. Um, there's a section that's um, coded as sexual threat. Yes, absolutely. Um, but obviously, because it's a zombie apocalypse, it's not what he's after as a character. <laughs> but it's definitely, it's very analogous. Um, and I think it's kind of obviously coded as that. And I thought that was, um, yeah, I thought that part was really well done, but it was really, it was like one of the most difficult parts to read. And I thought that was just really relatable. And I, I think, um, yeah, so there's a, uh, a zombified version of, yeah, sexual threat um, in there. And there, yeah, so I do have a content warning on my story for that. And I think part of what makes dating so gothic is, um, uh, even in the section I read, you know, she, she uh, the protagonist runs through a list of all the things she has to do to stay safe while dating. And I think it's interesting that if you aren't like a het cis male, so much of uh, dating norms are about how to keep yourself safe 
versus how to have fun or how to find someone that uh, that you like. It's more like, here's what you need to do to keep yourself safe. And um, that is language that hasn't really changed in, I think, hundreds of years, you know, from like uh, 18th century courtship novels to now. It's all about how do you stay safe and uh, avoid predators. Yeah, absolutely. It was such a relatable, um, well thought out reflection of the dating world. And I thought that was just a really interesting take on it. And I wondered what, um, I, I really liked uh, the way that you gothicize the mundane and um, that kind of everyday activity that's looked at through a different lens. And I think it's done really effectively. Um, and I was wondering like, um, what some of your influences are for gothicizing um, for gothicizing the, the everyday and how you can create a sense of the uncanny effectively within that social context. Yes. So um, my degree area is actually in like 18th and 19th century uh, courtship novels. Mm. And I, I grew up uh, really loving gothic romances. So there's like a, a, a big space in my heart for them. And what I love about both courtship novels and gothic romances is this idea that, you know, they're taking really basic things in a person's life and showing the real dangers. So in gothic romances, you know, we tend to focus on the more outlandish parts of those stories, the uh, the mad woman in the attic or the unexplained mysteries, but the real terror of those stories are actually really mundane and domestic. You know, they're... Um, women worried about marrying the wrong man or uh, making the wrong decision or uh, thinking about how one simple mis mistake or whatever might shape the rest of their lives. Um, yeah. And of course, we're talking about, you know, very traditional marriage markets in the 18th and 19th centuries. But those stories have evolved to really think about our internal and domestic lives and the quiet terrors we negotiate throughout our day to day. So um, that's always sort of stuck with me. So I write a lot about um, both the magic of everyday life, the kind of beautiful subtleties that we often overlook that are really quite magical. But there's there's the uh, twin side of that, which is the everyday gothic or the ordinary gothic, where sometimes we go through things that we don't perceive as traumas or terrors because mainstream society has told us not to feel those things. Um, so yeah. there's a lot of social conditioning there um, about what we're allowed to like in everyday life and what we're allowed to feel. And the mundane gothic comes out to say, hey, that thing you perceived as trauma, but people are telling you is no big deal, is in fact a trauma. And it's okay to acknowledge it as such. Yeah, I think that's really important. I wonder if that's behind um, the kind of modern Gothic resurgence as well. Like there seems to be, like in general, in young adult literature as well as adult, um, there seems to be this big, I think especially in YA, um, oh. I'm sort of noticing like a big kind of upsurge in Gothic themes, Gothic settings, Gothic atmosphere, with, um, you know, all of that coming out. And I think there's just so much... Um, anxiety in society and so much kind of pushback against what people have been conditioned to think is okay and then everyone's kind of waking up to the fact that things are actually not okay for a lot of people and actually 
they're not okay for a lot more people than you think. Yes, exactly. And and also this idea that the real terror of that is someone wanting to think everything is fine. You know, the suppression of those feelings. That's that's the hair the terror and the horror. Whereas the gothic kind of brings out hey, we need to talk about this stuff. We, we can't just pretend they don't exist, right? Um, yeah. And that's why I love the Gothic because it just kind of lets all, all the <laughs> the darkness out so that we can face it. That's part of the catharsis. Yeah. And I think it's the way it does it as well. It's not kind of, it, I mean, I, I think, you know, you can go one of two ways, either Gothic or dystopia. Yeah. You know, so you can project stuff forward into the future or the near future. So that's just far enough away that you can, um, like, analyze current contemporary issues um or you could do the gothic thing with it you, you know however that works for you like you could send it back in time or you can kind of uh gothicize it in other ways um but one of the really fun things um i think about the gothic is that it's so much about what's hidden like you said and of um like it's not just a genre it's also a process of exposing that which is hidden but there's always that kind of underlying assumption going on um, so, so going in for the reader that you know something is hidden and will be uncovered. Yeah, yes, definitely. And I, what I love about the gothic genre, especially, is there's a real strong sense of history. Um, you know, there's always some sort of, um, you know, the very traditional gothics like some ancient prophecy or whatever, or even just more recent history that needs to be uncovered. And so, for me, that's always an exploration of ancestral and generational trauma. So the, the things that get passed on if they aren't uh, exposed or brought into the light, um, even something like the uh, uh, repressive social ideologies of dating norms, <laughs> you know, those, they keep getting perpetuated and that trauma gets perpetuated unless just they break the cycle of, um, of what society is demanding of you. Yeah, I think you're right about the the whole kind of performative nature um, and like of the dating game and all of those expectations that it's, yeah, it's almost like a, a panopticon kind of effect where everyone who's in your circle um, is, is, you know, doing stuff and, and thinking it's, you know, it's the whole kind of focus of the conversation and it's being dragged on double dates so you don't particularly want to go on, but that's how you're socialising with all your friends now, I guess. <laughs> it's like that kind of pressure to belong um, and that those sorts of things come out in hungry business um, as well as, yeah, so, so that sort of thing. And like, I think what struck me most about it is the protagonist is, like, apart from the dates, completely alone. Um and I think the only time you see her interact with a friend is the going on a double date situation. And I thought that was just a really interesting sort of gothic trope. It's a really important gothic trope, uh, so the isolated protagonist. And that's that's kind of key to the gothic text, if you like. Um, so it's interesting that, um, you know, you get that sense of loneliness and isolation when you're performing a very social act or performing a social life. Yes, absolutely. And I'm so I'm so excited that you picked up on that. Because <laughs> that was <laughs> one of the 
mentioned is like, you know, sometimes it's like we we have all these friends or we're out doing all these things. And even though we're surrounded by all these people, it's intentionally, it, it can be intensely isolating and, and soul gutting. Um, so I, I really wanted to contrast that with the scenes where she's at home and in her apartment and it's cozy and warm and she has all these twinkle lights. And that's the moment where you, in many ways, might, you know, mainstream culture might see her as at her most isolated, but really that's where she's at her most at peace. You know, she's connected to herself and she has more of a sense of who she is there. Um, so that tension starts to build in the story where she has to say, society's telling me I need to do this, but I'm at a point where I have to think about, well, what makes me feel good? Um, because I can't just keep doing the same thing over and over again because it's making me crazy and literally infecting me with this thing I don't know how to um, uh, cure. Yeah. Yeah. And I I don't want to say too much because I don't want to spoil the end. Um, but yeah, there's loads of stuff I really want to get into about that. Uh, but I, I can't because spoilers... Well, what, what I can say about the ending without giving any spoilers is that the romance lover in me is huge on HEAs or happily ever after. So there is a sense of catharsis and resolution. Um, so she does find that. The the trick, of course, for her is, is figuring out how to get there. So for me, the Gothic is always about, yeah, uh, expose the darkness or or really confront it and then find your resolution from there. I think that's a really lovely way of approaching it as well, because I think so much of Gothic fiction is so bleak. Um, <laughs> and it, you know, you, you can have this really nihilistic approach where you're holding a mirror up to something and you're saying that everything is wrong in the situation and things are very uncanny and unfamiliar, but also uh, very familiar and it's very unsettling. And then you're left with an ending that's really either very ambiguous or, you know, very uncomfortable um, or, it's, you know, deliberately meant to unsettle you so you don't know what's going to happen. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's not going to get any better unless you just burn it all down kind of ending. <laughs> you know? um, like, uh, yeah, I guess this isn't really spoilers because it's been been published for several years now um but like rebecca by daphne du maurier where you know either the film does turn it into like a happy ever after ending um and kind of romanticizes it but the book has like a very different spin and it's it's really not the happy ever after reading um you you know where everything's fine like <laughs> yes yeah and i if that's what you're left with you know you're left with that note of I guess, emotional evisceration. And there's nothing for the reader to heal themselves with after that. So you, you then, as the reader, have to go forward into your daily life and do that work. Yes, exactly. It's not always the best place to be. It's like not the most comfortable place to be. And I I really like that for the Gothic. Um, but as well as the... I like that contrast um, or, you know, a counterpoint. Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, so one of my kind of reasonings behind that is, um, again, because I come from a mixed cultural background that is, you know, has a very intense history of, of colonization in uh, the American Southwest and um, religious oppression and all this stuff. Um, 
I, I sort of realized very early on, um, like in college, a lot of the stories about um, Latinx, Hispanic, Indigenous communities were about trauma and making people aware of those histories of trauma and the violence and all of that. And that's really important to have all those things exposed. But at a certain point, I felt like, okay, where do we go from here? Like, we know all this is here. What's what's our next step forward? And what I think is really exciting now is that uh, people within those communities, like myself, are starting to think about changing those narratives. Okay, so we have to expose everything, but we can't just be in that perpetual state of of rawness and grappling with the devastation of those things, as you so as you so uh, eloquently put it. Um, <laughs> We have to think about where do we go from here? Otherwise, you're in that constant state of uh, trauma. Yeah. So, so part of the the hopeful gothic for me is like thinking, okay, there is hope once you go through that devastating uh, feeling and that that rawness. Um, you can start to begin to pave a new way forward, which is terrifying. That's part of the gothic, right? Going into the unknown, uh, but there's also catharsis there. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I love that. As a, I think it's an interest. It's a really good mode to kind of to bridge that, to bridge that kind of gap from yeah, like perpetual trauma to future planning or a forward path. And you kind of yeah, the Gothic is a good way of going. Yes, everything is shit, and <laughs> yeah, yes, things are here are all the hidden things, but also this is how we can move forwards. This is how we can kind of do it to over, not not necessarily overcome in inverted commas, but like how we can, you know, where we're going uh, and see a forward path. But yeah, it's. And, and the, power, the power of knowing that that stuff is there, right? Yeah. So like at the beginning of every Gothic tale, the danger is in not knowing that there's stuff there or that, there is something there, but we don't know what it is. And so once it's revealed, the catharsis is in uh, recognizing, okay, that stuff's there. It's probably always going to be there, but I have the agency now with my knowledge to decide what I do um, moving forward. Yeah, that sense of agency. Um, I think that that agency is really key, especially with gothic heroines, um, where they, you know, they spend most of the book trying to find their agency or regain that agency, or you know, it's it's that agency that becomes a battleground, um, like who has control of their destiny, um, and ultimately it has to be if if you want that kind of resolution or um, you know, ultimately their agency has to be given back to them or attained in some way. Um, and it has to be like a, there has to be a kind of positive about that. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that works so well, um, especially in terms of like the dating scene and like that kind of thing. <laughs> like, One thing I will say too, is I'm getting a lot of really wonderful reviews of, from that story of people just saying, I'm so glad I'm not in the dating scene anymore <laughs> or how painfully relatable it was and so to me that was really cathartic because again I think it's something that's a little more unspoken where people just really uh being honest about how much it can suck out there <laughs> yeah and it's so demoralizing and it's just that yeah it does 
just the process of doing it over and over does kind of strip you of your agency in that kind of because there's also that narrative that you can't be happy unless you've got someone else exactly or in in a more general way you know you can't be happy unless you conform to this set of societal expectations exactly and finding your own space um, would you say that the themes of hungry business are representative of your work as a whole or do you like to explore the range of um the range of modes and things yeah that's a great question um so for the most part, it is reflective of my work as a whole. I, I really love the Gothic and that that kind of hopeful Gothic, um, or there's a sense of cozy Gothic too, as disturbing as some of the bits of hungry business are. There's also some really, I think, comforting portions of the story too. So I, I really like to inhabit that space. Um, I also uh, write in in my nonfiction, my my prose uh, poetry fiction. I write about, or I'm sorry, my kind of prose nonfiction, um, I write about the magic of everyday life. So that looks at the same sort of issues, but from a more um, positive <laughs> perspective. So it doesn't quite go as dark, but it really explores the the joys of, of mundane life. Like, you know, a really good cup of tea is really a magic potion. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, the cast iron pot is your cauldron where you can brew all sorts of amazing things. Um, so I kind of move in between the, the everyday magic and the ordinary Gothic in, in what I write. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's lovely. I just... <laughs> <laughs> um, have you got anything coming out that you want to publicize or let us know about or anything coming up? Uh, yes, well, thanks for asking. So um, in the fall, I have my second nonfiction book uh, in October. It's a uh, practical guide to magical living. So again, really mundane tips on um, how to just conjure more magic and, and kind of uh, be conscious about how you are the author of your own story. And then um, Hopefully in the spring, I'm hoping to get out my next uh, short story and novella uh, called uh, Weep Woman Weep. And it's based on the legend of La Llorona uh, or the weeping woman, um, which is a really famous uh, creepy story uh, in New Mexico about uh, a woman who, who drowns her babies in the river, the Rio Grande, after all this stuff happens. Um, so she's she's a common archetype. She's kind of the woman in white uh, archetype that you see in a lot of cultures. But um, I have a story that's about that and how you heal from issues of ancestral trauma. So fingers crossed it'll be out this spring. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm really looking forward to that. I'm very excited. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a really lovely um, chat. Thank you for having me. Uh, I am actually a very big fan of your work and your writing. I'm reading <laughs> and it is so delightful. And it's, uh, I'll be honest, like it's taking me a little longer to go through because I don't want it to end. And so I'm like parceling it out each night before I go to bed because I just <laughs> occupying that world and that space. It's very comforting. Okay. Oh, it's creepy. It's very comforting. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I'm going for. And then as it goes on, I didn't realise like how much was how much creepier it gets. And then I'm like, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so much fun. There's like some characters, you know, I'm like, 
you're a cannibal. Why do I like you so much? <laughs> I would love to hang out with you sometime. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it's the whole sort of, if it wasn't for his family, like having messed him up so much, he would actually be a really sweet guy. Absolutely. And I, I love the the characters in the story. All of them have this this interesting backstory of like, this stuff happened to me. Now, where do I go from here? Like, what kind of life do I want to build for myself? And so to me, that's been such a, a fascinating space to linger in with these interesting characters who are just like, this is what I have going on now. And where do I go from here? Yeah. And just but, knowing that yeah, like, yeah. good, good <laughs> people at the core, you know? Um, so yeah, thank you so much. It's It's been really <laughs> a lot of medicine for me. <laughs> that's really lovely to hear thank you so much i'm very i'm honored (laughs) well that's all we've got time for thank you for listening thank you again for coming on the podcast um on thursday we've got the next installment of the crows to listen to and then uh we've got a bonus episode coming up in addition to this one um so stay tuned don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you on thursday bye now